Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I am doing fantastic today, Tim. I hope everyone out there is doing as fantastic as I'm feeling right now. And the conversation is one that we always look forward to every year after we finish up CrimeCon. But the thing that I'm looking forward to every intro is how you're doing, Tim. How are you? I am great. Thanks a lot for asking. And we are joined by two old friends in this episode, Lance. It is Elise Powers and Kevin Balf from CrimeCon, and we speak with them almost every year post-CrimeCon to catch up about the event, speak about sort of the intricacies and, and what it's like putting on an event, especially one so large, which encapsulates the entire true crime industry in a major way, Lance. Yeah, and it's really cool to see how CrimeCon has grown. So these check-ins that happen every year after the event are important because I feel like people need to recognize the changes, the developments, and everything that the organization behind CrimeCon is doing to make it as human-focused, empathetic, victim-focused, survivor-focused as possible. Also, to realize how much work goes into these. And it's not just the one CrimeCon event that happens annually. It's the cruises, it's the CrimeCon UK, and all of those other offshoots that they're constantly working on. But we do give them a few weeks post-event to recover, we start off the conversation just talking about how the body and the mind feels after one of these events is over and you just need like a good 18, 20 hours to just shut down because they do work directly with the people, with their staff during the event, which you can't really say that about a lot of event planners who will be collecting tickets for one of the welcome parties they'll they'll be there like stamping hands putting the wrist bracelets on and you don't typically see that you don't typically see the ceo of a company working the crowd and and working with this the staff to make something happen so it's always super impressive to see just how they turn it on for that entire weekend and make it all happen make it all come together and i will say that these episodes these conversations with elise and kevin maybe wouldn't be necessary if they had kept their podcast road to crime con going which is a uh, real blast from the past to those who might remember that one, especially Kevin and Elise. But yeah, that was kind of a build-up podcast building up to the event that uh, Elise really loved to do. If anyone is really excited to get behind the mic and talk about some personal ongoings, it's Elise. <laughs> All right. So make sure to follow everything that CrimeCon is up to. You can follow them on social media. And of course, you can go to CrimeCon.com and catch up with everything that they got going on over there. All right. We're going to take a quick break for commercial and we will be right back with Elise and Kevin from Red Seat Ventures who organize CrimeCon. And a thank you to our sponsors. Back to the program. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Elise and Kevin of CrimeCon. What's going on today? What's happening? It's our favorite day of the year. <laughs> After every CrimeCon, we like to check in with you guys and just make sure you're doing okay, first of all, because it's such a heavy lift. It's such an endeavor. And also, we just like to hear the things that you think worked. But before we get to all of that, how are you guys doing this far removed from CrimeCon in Orlando? 
we appreciate that you always wait, you know, a good six weeks post the event to talk to us because <laughs> I think we all know if we tried it right after, it wouldn't. The answer would be much different. Yeah, I feel feel good, refreshed now. You know, caught up on sleep and getting old, so you know the aches and pains are are. Uh, it's like the three the one weekend takes like two months to recover from. I think I've said this to you guys before. I, from my perspective, it, I love events because they have an end date. You work your ass off, but you know it's going to be over. I think the hard part is though, like once the event itself is over, we kind of want to also take some time and start planning the next one. The reality is there's still a lot to do. You're wrapping up all sorts of stuff with sponsors, exhibitors, speakers, feedback reports, surveys, economics. So unfortunately it, it still kind of goes quite a bit past the weekend for us. You know, we're talking here in, in um, November, we're finally to a point where, you know, we can pretty much say uh, Orlando was a wrap. If you had asked me Three or four weeks ago, I would have said I'm I'm not well, but caught up on sleep. Good. And how long does that take? Do you need like a couple of days to just unplug, or or is that too overwhelming to leave your email for that amount of time and then you come back and there's too many emails? It is a little bit of both. I remember, Elise, was it this year or last year? I think it was after Vegas. It got to the point where like I hadn't heard from you for an alarming period of time. She finally surfaced and was like, "I forgot your sleep record, but you slept for like." 17 straight hours or something insane yeah it was more than that like i woke up and then i fell back asleep and then eventually dave was like i'm going to take you to the hospital if you don't wake up and move monday and tuesday are pretty much we were just trying to you know recover both mentally but also physically it's just so taxing yeah and everyone understands everyone's awesome you know when you resurface on later in the week no one's bugging responses at that point i'm curious what an alarming amount of time not hearing from elise is well, we work so closely together, you know, it's like if we go half a day without hearing from each other, but like, yeah, I think at this point I was actually like reaching out like, Hey, we need to talk about, you know, getting the survey together. And it was still nothing. That's where it started getting alarming. Turns out she was just, just dreaming. And you mentioned those surveys. Can you tell us about that? What kind of information are you looking for when you send out those surveys? Yeah. I mean, the survey is a beast. It's like, 10 pages, we ask pretty much about everything from like the communication process, badge pickup, programming, hotel, everything. And attendees take it very seriously. I will say like this year, I think we got over a thousand responses back and very detailed too. There's open-ended questions. People will will tell us everything. So it's, it's always fun to go through. And I would say this year's was overwhelmingly positive. We're fortunate that people are willing to spend that much time to tell us what they think. It really, it's not a cliche to say it really is how we improve. If I look back on those survey results, you know, going back to Indianapolis in 2017, we ask a lot of the same questions and then we add stuff that's specific to that year, but we can see trends and we can also see, you know, the open-ended responses people give to feedback. We've incorporated so much of that stuff. And, you know, for us at a thousand responses and, you know, over 5,000 people there, it really is about trends now. One of the pros and cons of live events everybody has a unique experience. We want that experience to be positive, obviously. And when it's not, we, we do a deeper dive to look, but also everybody's got very specific ideas around, you know, ways they can improve. Some of those ideas are great and would work for 5,000 plus people. Some of them are very specific to them, you know, and I think part of our challenge of, of reading those survey results is really understanding like what is a trend versus just what is kind of a one-off. You know, when you start seeing the same comment over and over again, you start to say, okay, this is something we, we really need to pay attention to, you know, 
multiple people from multiple different badge levels, from locals to out of town people, from first event people to sixth event people are all saying the same thing. That's that's very meaningful. Yeah, we noticed that there were some things that were put in place for this one at, in Orlando. And one of the more impressive ones that I'm, I'm thinking came from was generated from the feedback and identifying these trends is the survivors meetup that you held. These are obviously people who have survived real crime, like real traumatic moments in their life. So please don't say anything that you don't feel comfortable saying about it. How did that become and what was the takeaway from the people who attended? As much as you feel comfortable saying. Who sold us out here, Lance? I thought this was off the books. I didn't know you knew about this. Obviously, I know how you know about it. It's a it's just a good example of the stuff that happens on stages and elsewhere at CrimeCon is obviously the reason people come in is, you know, very, very important. But from our standpoint, what we're most proud of is the stuff that sort of happens behind the scenes, a lot of which doesn't really ever get talked about. You know, there's obviously has been and will continue to be forever a lot of conversation around true crime media, the difference between people, you know, immersing themselves in this content and, you know, treating it incorrectly, having too much fun with it. Like everyone has, there's a whole bunch of opinions. As people who are out there dealing with the media side, the fan side, uh, the engager side, and the family side, you know, we're living this every day. And I can just say unequivocally that there's a real need to help a lot of people who have been through a lot. And I think events like CrimeCon and other people who are working in this space with good intentions can have a big role to play in creating, you know, just being a little careful, as you could tell, but in creating real positive change, not only for the families, but to use them also as a megaphone and a platform to help others. And so the event you're talking about, which was a, you know, a private event that we put together based on survey feedback, based on conversations over the years with a lot of these families really was about, for now, just about introductions, connections, people that really should know each other, people that have been through very unique sets of circumstances in, in their lives, and that they need to know that others have been through it also, and they should have a place where they can talk without any guards up. We've never really done anything like it. We kicked everybody out. I mean, like the hotel staff had to leave. We, I was the bartender. Like, I, you know, nobody else was in there, specifically because it had to be a completely authentic place where people could talk about a life experience, understanding that the other people in that room are the only people in the world who are uniquely qualified to, to hear that, to, to empathize with it, and to offer connections, advice, help, support, all those sorts of things for each other. Those one-on-one -on -one connections that happen in a whole variety of, of ways behind the scenes are, you know, are something I know that Elise and I are, are really, really proud of, of what CrimeCon's been able to do sort of offstage. Yes. And for the record, no one sold you out before the fact. We had no idea that this was, this is how closely kept this was. We had no idea that this was happening. But after the fact, I think the people that, that we were connected with who attended that couldn't keep it to themselves anymore because it was just that personalized and effective and empathetic. It's confidential from the standpoint of, you know, who said what and what happened in there, but it's not confidential that it happened. It's just not something that we specifically talk about. But if people who are in it talk about it, that's obviously fine. But I know because you guys like the behind the scenes gossip, I'll tell you one funny story. So you guys were up in the top level suite with the, the Epcot views and everything, right? We're having the creator's party. We spaced these things out with a half hour between. We had this, this first private event and then we had about a half hour in between and then the, the podcast party. So I'm in there for the family event. No one really knew what direction it was going to take on purpose. Like we, it, we left it very unstructured and we had some, some objectives, but like didn't really know. And, you know, it's also no one knows each other and everyone's going to be a little bit, you know, there's a bit of a thawing of the ice. None of that happened. I mean, from minute two, this went from zero to a hundred in a great way, right? Everybody is immediately understanding why they're there, how connected this group is. And so it gets 
extremely compelling, extremely emotional, all these sorts of things. Long story to say, I'm texting Elise, who's outside with the creators, the podcasters and, and everyone else, and is like, yeah, you need to wrap this. And I'm just inside, like, you know, this outpouring of emotion is happening. And I'm just like, you don't understand. I can't end this. There's no possible way I can end this. I won't. I won't do it. So meanwhile, we're having like a hallway full of podcasters trying to get into the space that is, you know, currently completely occupied. And it was like, I had no, no way to solve it. I kept trying, you know, saying like, we should, you know, we should just wrap and everyone's got to get back to things. But it was too intense for my normal tricks of the trade to try to wrap things for that to work. So that was fun. So what happened first? Did you notice that this community was forming and you wanted to sort of help facilitate that? Or was it something that you pictured from before this kind of meetup was planned? I mean, we certainly have noticed and have thought long and hard for years around like what is our appropriate role off stage, if any, what do we want to be? What should we be? How can we be helpful without being, you know, in the way? And then the second thing that happened is Paul Holes. I think most people listening to your pod probably know Paul. And obviously we, he's been a, you know, a speaker for us for a number of years and we've developed a, a very good relationship and he's been to our UK events. He's been on our cruises. So him and I have had an opportunity to spend a lot of time together, you know, in various bars, drinking a lot of bourbon and talking. And I think it was the UK where he first brought up this idea, you know, there's something larger here. We have a unique opportunity to serve the victim side in a way that they they really need that none of them can do, but that you can. To be honest with you, my hesitation with it was that I didn't want to be in a spot where Elise and I are trying to like measure someone's qualifications to be in this group. So I'm judging like Lance's trauma versus Tim's trauma and saying like, well, you had enough trauma. Come on in. I'm like, I'm sorry, Lance, you didn't go through enough. That's not a position I would ever want to be in nor, you know, nor should we. So it was UK uh, last year where Paul and I again find ourselves together and I don't know, this the, this idea sort of came up of like, well, what if this group took ownership of it themselves? We provide all the resources and the platform, but essentially they decide how it grows and they decide who gets in. And it becomes referral based, right? Like if you're in a club and you know you have to sponsor a member to come in and, and sort of vouch for them yourself, then you're creating this network where the families themselves and the people who have been through these things, for lack of a better term, nominating someone saying like, hey, they'd be a great fit. They started a foundation or they wrote a book or they have a pod and they understand this side of it. That experience and that knowledge and those contacts could be helpful to a larger group. That's the way it should grow, not, you know, any sort of like litmus test that we're creating. So once that kind of understanding happened, then it was really just about, okay, how do we, how do we start this? And how do we plan it? You know, it was the first year, so we'll see. But as you guys obviously have heard, the people that were there, I think clearly saw a good reason for this to be part of the mix going forward. That's something that we hadn't heard that it was coming from a conversation over the course of a couple of uh, events with Paul Holt. He's so good about donating his time pro bono to a whole bunch of cases and people and victims. And he's just been remarkable in that standpoint. And he like walks the walk. A lot of people talk about a lot of things and Paul lives it and walks it. And so once also I felt like that he was committed to the idea of being that connector because he can connect back to law enforcement. He can connect back to media. Him being involved was really helpful because it also took the pressure off Elise and I to say like, Paul's going to be the figurehead, right? If anybody in the group has questions or, you know, wants to be connected or whatever, Paul can be that person. And we can do what we do best, which is just sort of putting these things together. I mean, there's no specific magic that we have, but Paul does. And so I think him stepping up was, was huge for getting this off the ground. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. And a thank you to our sponsors. Back to the program. 
I guess it was 2022 was in Las Vegas and you had over a year to prepare for 23 in Orlando. And this time you've got less than a year to prepare for 24 in Nashville. So tell us the differences between that amount of time to prepare. Just rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to let Elise take that one. <laughs> After Vegas, it was nice because I think that event was at the end of April. So we called it the summer of Kevin and Elise. Like we <laughs> lived our best lives and then sort of regrouped in the fall. Like we really do at this point have to pivot right to Nashville. Regardless of having like a year or eight months, like everything really does come together in those final three months. So I don't know that it necessarily changes things. You know, also we both work on a lot of other stuff. And so it'd be nice to be able to, to do some of the other stuff, you know, prior to jumping right back in. To Elise's point, a lot happens late. And I think the other good thing, you know, we've talked to you guys for so many years, we've really leveled up our partnerships, you know, the people that we bring on for contractors and vendors, like everyone that brings the event to life, right? As you know, from our team, there's Elise and I full-time and then two part-time people. That's it. It's really everybody else for this infrastructure that makes these things go. You know, we've leveled up to the point where like the trust we have and the people around us is so much greater than it used to be where like all those areas that used to just get me, you know, I'm not sleeping at night because they're running in my head of like, how are we going to do staffing and security and signage and F&B and the room block and talent management and, you know, all these sort of travel, all these sorts of things. Like we now know how all that works and have the right people in place. In a good way, we've got the event back to where we want it from what our responsibilities are, which is number one programming. Who are we going to put on stage? And how are those presentations going to be formatted to make them the best they can possibly be? Who's going to be in podcast row? And, you know, talking about the event, the marketing of the event, the sales side and the exhibitor side and the sponsorship side, all that, that's where we can live now. And while obviously we're still spending a lot of time focused on all these other production-based things, AV companies and lighting and sound and video and all that, it's really like we're able to just manage that process now, make key decisions rather than having to be in it day to day. So that's helped a lot. And I think that's probably one of the only reasons we can turn an event around now in seven or eight months. I'm sorry, you, you said that there are still a lot of other things outside of CrimeCon that the two of you do. Like, I find that <laughs> like remarkable. I know a lot of it now is still focused on CrimeCon related things, right? Like we, the cruise is happening next November, 2024. We haven't really announced it yet, but Crime Cruise 3 will be going on. There's a UK event, a Glasgow event, the Clue Awards. There's a CrimeCon called CrimeCon on the Run that we're looking to put back together, which is more of a touring event. So we can hit some cities that we never get to in the main event. Crime HQ, which is our digital you know, live event and all the archive of every session we've ever done lives there. So there's a lot even outside of CrimeCon, but within CrimeCon, it's nice to be able to actually focus on some of these other things, not just the main event. You say CrimeCon UK, and I wasn't thinking about it until right now. I'm curious how you're going to handle the, I guess, travel restrictions that are going to be coming up. Is it next May 2024? Americans have to get like pre-approved to go overseas? It's mostly a UK audience, so I don't think it's going to impact us that much. And for Americans, yeah, I mean, whether you're going there for a CrimeCon or whether you're just going there, all of us are going to have to do this process. From my little reading about it, it does seem like a little bit more of a tax situation. Like it's not like you're applying for a visa. I don't think that's going to have a material impact. God, it's coffee versus tea all over again. <laughs> right. Tell us about how the event in the UK has uh, grown. We have a great team over there. So they really run it, own it. We consult with them on programming and guests and those sorts of things. They've done a terrific job. My sense is like it's a very similar audience but also there's a lot of differences as well. True crime in the UK is very 
much like it is here. You know, UK, Australia, and Canada, I would say, are sort of the, the countries that are most similar. But the UK, it seems to me that the consumers over there buy differently than they do here. You know, they're not necessarily used to to going to a three-day weekend event. Um, they don't buy merch. Like that's one of one of the biggest things that Lisa and I learned. Like our our merch store is generally packed. And when we we're putting it together with the UK team, they were like, yeah, we don't really need a lot of merch. And we're like, really? Like, yeah, and then we've been there a bunch of times and they're right, man, no one buys merch. So there's just some of those differences. It's also there's differences on the back end. So like the way hotels and meeting space work in the US is different than the UK. So there's been a lot of those learnings, but they've done a great job. It's growing, growing more slowly than it is in the US, but it's been nice because, you know, they've been able to have a manageable size crowd while they're getting their legs under them and learning all the, you know, getting immersed in the community and developing the relationships with the media companies and the speakers and the podcasters. And so next year they're moving to an event center. It's been in a hotel for the first three years and now they're moving to an event center that's going to allow us to get to higher of a crowd, maybe 20, 30% more people than we've had in the past and just sort of see how that feels. It's a long-term plan, right? There's The nice part is that they don't need to pack thousands of people into a convention center anytime soon. They can really grow it smartly, sensibly, and make sure that the experience stays really, really high for attendees. Elise, you have essentially spearheaded the podcaster part of CrimeCon. Two questions on this. How is it different planning that for the uh, UK event? And also, how has it grown since CrimeCon 1, where Podcast Row was the hallway before the main stage? Oh, yeah, you guys were there. You saw it. On our end, obviously, the amount of creators that we've been able to have at the event has gone up a lot. And it gets tougher every year because you want to bring back, you know, all of the amazing podcasters that came the year before, but you also want to feature new. If we follow the same path, I would say we're increasing it a little bit more each year. Depends on the venue. On your UK question, I would say it differs because... Nancy over there that handles CrimeCon UK has really taken that like she's my counterpart in London. You know, I've made connections to a bunch of you guys and, you know, we're in close touch with who we have at each event. But she's really like embraced those relationships. She said she has a a WhatsApp text group with all the podcasters and creators and she's actually in it, (laughs) which is a lot, but she loves it. Do you find that podcasters are more needy? <laughs> no comment. Say no comment. That's a yes. For the record, podcasters are not more needy for sure. Just like on the speaker side, I think 80-20 rule probably applies, right? But I mean, that's just more human nature than than the creator specific stuff. And just to follow up on that last point, like the creator side of CrimeCon has been so meaningful to us and to the attendees. You know, we're constantly trying to improve and do a better job giving creators a platform to be able to, you know, develop an audience of existing fans get attract new fans to their properties who are constantly you know looking for ways we can improve and i think the hard part to elise's point has been the number of applications we get for podcast row now is overwhelming you know sometimes we feel like yale or harvard with like admissions right because you're trying to trying to do the right thing and not alienate people or make people mad but also like get a new mix in there every year as we've developed relationships with really good people who we want to have every year you know it's hard to say like ah can you skip a year and come back and then we were trying to get this mix in so that's like a production challenge for us has just been how do we i think we're up to like we were up to 55 ish podcast tables in orlando how do we continue to to present that diversified mix to attendees while not like ruining our relationships with the creator community who we who we value so highly and it's a two-way street they've got to find value from us we certainly find value in them but we're always mindful that we you know need to be doing more to make sure they understand how appreciative we are for their participation their health they're talking about the conference on air i mean all the things that the podcasters and creators do for us is definitely a critical reason we've got to where we're at and what was your favorite 
session from 2023 or the session that you enjoyed putting together the most? I mean, from a production standpoint, I was really proud of the last session on Sunday, which I call the world turned upside down, but which featured, you know, the Delphi families, Stacey Chapin, whose son Ethan was one of the Idaho students, uh, Carrie Rawson. It was like exactly what I want the conference. And that's why I put it last. Cause I just like, that's what, you know, I want people to leave on that feeling of here is this, these incredibly strong, in this case, women, but families who've been through these unimaginable tragedies. They never asked for this in their lives. Their worlds were completely turned upside down. And now, not only that, they've been thrown into this, this true crime machine. They're living every day with journalists and media and podcasters and everyone else trying to tell their story in different ways. They're trying to you know, retain control of the stories that they tell and the way they talk about the victims. So I just thought that that was like a really... A really special panel for us having Stacy at the conference was, you know, given where that case is right now was the trust she put in us, I, th- I thought was amazing. And that she was willing to get up on stage and, you know, talk about Ethan and her life and, and all those sorts of things. Like to me, that was the one that was kind of just emblematic of it's it's not the most like everyone's bringing tissues to it. So I know it's not the, you know, not the one that probably is like the highlight session for most attendees, although the feedback on it was incredible, but just from our standpoint, from a production standpoint, and from everything that it took to get to a point where we could do that session and develop the trust that it would take for people to say yes to that, we were really proud of that. Did you realize how much work had to go into establishing trust between all parties prior to it, or were you kind of learning as you you were going? In so many of these areas, we had, you know, being naive was our friend, because I just think, had you known back in 2015 you know, what all these things would take, not only like putting on a live event and the economics, but then in this world, making sure you are doing everything right. You are treating people right. You're in it for the right reasons. You are um, developing those relationships with both law enforcement and families and advocacy groups, and really just making sure that just like I said about Paul, like you're not just walking the walk or talking the talk, you are walking it. You know, actions in this world speak very, very loudly, right? There's lots of people who say lots of things, you know, we want to see what you do. And I think it, that has taken us since 2015 to get to the point where you know, someone like Stacy would have, ne- like, she, she's not a true crime person. She's never heard of crime con. Then she got thrown into this world. And I think only because of the trust that we've had from so many families over the years, the experience that they've had, that they know that we treat them right. They know that more importantly, the attendees treat them right. Everyone is super respectful, supportive, wants to give them hugs. Like that validation from all those other people is what allows us, I think now, like we say, don't take it from us, call, and we'll give you 10 people to call, right? And I think that ability to have other people validate the experience is really important for us. And another part of the event that's kind of new over the past couple of years is the Clue Awards. What was the thought process in coming up with an award ceremony? Also, if you ask Elise, she'll just say, let's shut it down. So don't don't ask Elise this question. That question was specifically directed at Elise. <laughs> From the start, I said, I'm not touching this event. <laughs> it was beautifully executed. And, and Tim and I know because we stuffed the ballot boxes and got our got our show nominated somehow. So we were in attendance. You guys were there. You, you Hopefully the reason for being came through, which is like there's too much content being produced in this genre for there not to be a definitive decider of not only who's like creating good content, but who's creating content the right way, right? We all talk about being respectful to families and victims and making sure that they have a voice 
doing things that aren't tabloidy and sensational and fact checking and like all the things you want a true crime property to be that if more were like that, I think the narrative would change around like, should true crime media exist? It's gross. It's disgusting to something like, oh, look at this, like the advocacy that's happening for wrongfully convicted folks, the advocacy that's happening on coercive control or strengthening stalking laws or like any of these areas where light needs to be shined. The right type of content creators and the right type of content can help. And I think the opportunity we saw is just sort of like the agnostic platform of true crime and of, of highlighting a lot of these things. Like we don't decide other than the one award, the, the Crime Fighter of the Year award, that's an editorial decision from our team. Everything else is decided by by a third party judging panel made up of content producers, executives, those sorts of folks that are that are doing it every day. And CLUE stands for a commitment to leadership, understanding and excellence in true crime production. Like when the judges go in, the things that they're measuring against aren't like, hey, we're the, you know, we're the special effects good. It's like, did the victims and their families have a voice? You know, were, were police reports consulted and ensure that the fact checking was done properly? There's a whole bunch of criteria that they go through to, to, to measure these projects. Our hope is that by making Clue stand for something in this world, I'm not going to ever say it's going to be an Emmy or an Oscar, but giving it real weight and impact, it could almost change the way people produce going forward because we're all sort of, there's a herd mentality. And so if people you respect start winning Clue awards and you go, well, why are they winning? And I'm not winning. And then you look and see like, oh, well, they're winning because they're producing content that checks these five boxes. Like, like I should start doing that, right? We all mimic people that we respect and that frankly, that win awards. That's the ultimate goal of this is that Clue stands for something. We're already seeing it after a couple of years that Clue stands for something meaningful and now others want to win and to win, you know, you have to treat the content uh, in the right way. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Classy move at the uh, end announcing Crime Fighter of the Year. That award is presented by the previous year's recipient. Having those two parties on stage at the same time, exchanging hugs and and congratulations was such a great move. I know it wasn't done for like optics. They really like legitimately wanted to connect with each other. I mean, it's hard to say that there's a tradition after after two years, but I think I think we do have one here on the way this award works. And so year one, we gave it to the Black and Missing Foundation. We were so impressed. We had seen them through an HBO doc, but we were so impressed by the work that they were doing that we wanted to highlight. And then we became real close with the two women over there. When we looked at this year and we knew the Petito families were going to be joining us, we asked if we could reward the Petito Foundation, which is, you know, specifically focused on domestic violence, education and prevention. We said, you know, we'd like the Black and Missing Foundation to present you guys the award. And like literally from there, it was magic. I don't know if they already knew, I guess they had a relationship, but like Black and Missing wanted to do so much for them. Petito then, they were like, we want to donate back to Black and Missing on stage. They gave them, I think it was $15,000 right on stage as a donation from the Petito Foundation to the Black and Missing Foundation. And so those are like, again, from the stuff that happens that's like actually impactful and meaningful outside of the weekend. Those are the sorts of things, as you guys saw, like the Petitos got on stage with David Robinson, whose son Daniel's been missing, and Candy Cooley, whose son Dylan was killed, and had a conversation about missing white woman syndrome, right? And you say to yourself, man, the Petito parents... And step-parents are going to have this conversation with Black and Missing, right? This this should be like this. And instead, it's the exact opposite. It's exactly what you want. They agree. This shouldn't happen. How can we be part of the solution? How can we help you guys? How can we take you know this privilege that we have and make sure that we're paying it forward and helping? And it's like, that's where I think Elise and I, if we ever start to get like depressed or 
you know, annoyed with the harder stuff with CrimeCon. It's like when you see those sorts of things happen, it really, it really feels good. I mean, it really feels like there's, there's, there's a place where those, those things need to be addressed, not only with an audience there, but like then behind the scenes, those connections that have, who knows where that goes in five, 10, 15 years. I think it's a really cool award. And yeah. And so then in, in Nashville next year, we'll have uh, the Petitos back to present uh, whoever the winner is there and, you know, continuing to, to push those relationships forward. Where is CrimeCon going? What's the future? Well, the immediate future is Nashville. That's about all we can tell you right now. Well, there, well, I did, we, did, we did talk about the cruise. Um, so there is another cruise. A lot of people have been asking about that. It's a wildly different experience. I don't know if you guys are cruise people or not, but like being on the ship brings in a bit of a different type of audience, which is interesting for us. They're like not the audience that goes to the land-based convention generally. Equally like supportive, great, great people. They just seem to have no interest in going to a convention center. And like a lot of the convention center people have no interest in being on a cruise ship. So we almost feel like we're serving some different audiences there. That's a priority for us, you know, continuing to grow UK. Like we talked about Crime HQ, the touring show. There's a lot. We're just trying to go slow, you know, and take things in a direction that continues to like the, the business has succeeded because of our relationships with creators and because of word of mouth. If you look at the survey of where people are learning about CrimeCon, it's those two ways. The last thing we want to do is ruin either of those things. And so to not ruin it is you can't go from 5,000 people to 10 or 15,000 people. You know, people that keep saying, you got to go to a convention center. Well, great. But then what happens when you're in a convention center? Maybe someday that'll make sense. Maybe someday we'll get there. But like right now, I think we're trying to figure out how do we keep growing the experience, not the numbers. I think if we do that and keep our eye focused on, are we providing three meaningful days to people, then the rest of the business will will just fall into place. So what was the process in making that decision to go back to Nashville? Because that that's a great venue, great city. I mean, to be frank, we're running out of cities that can hold us at this level uh, because the hotel situation is is so challenging. I mean, you know, Orlando and Vegas are basically the two cities that are built for like convention style meetings inside of a hotel. When you get outside of that, really it's the Gaylord properties that have built large enough meeting spaces and have enough hotel rooms to support, you know, what we need. Beyond that, it starts to get really challenging. You really are looking at something, you know, trying to figure out a hotel that has a convention center connected to it or whatever. So Nashville was an obvious for us. I mean, the, the city is uh, very desirable for our, for most people, but for our attendees, uh, they indicated clearly that they wanted Nashville back on the rotation. And I think now that we can go back and have the entire place versus just a section of the place gives us a lot more options and a lot more, uh, we can be creative with, with how we how we move things around. Yeah, it's nice to go back to a city for the first time because it's the first time that we actually know something about the venue and we know something about the vendors in the area and who we can align with and the other things to do and all that. A lot of events, right? San Diego Comic-Con is in San Diego every year. They know everything about the San Diego Convention Center. You know, we just have never had that luxury. So in a lot of ways, it feels really good to go back to a city for the first time. And, and also that we know that we have attendees there who were there in 2018, who are only going to go to an event when it's in Nashville. And so now six years later, they're going to come back and hopefully be, uh, be wowed at how much we've grown. Oh, Paul Holes just texted me and said that uh, if you happen to be talking to Kevin and Elise, make sure you bring up the crawl space dinghy for the uh, CrimeCon <laughs> cruise. Now he's he's on board for this too. That's wild. I didn't realize Paul would just randomly text you about something like I, that. It's, yeah, it's, I didn't even know he had my number. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, you know, as always, it's on the whiteboard in the office, and you know, we just we just stare <laughs> at it, and I think like we're just waiting for the right right opportunity. If the ship has sailed, we're not going to take offense, and pun <laughs> intended. <laughs> I didn't. I don't feel like you guys made Elise as miserable as as I was hoping. I wish I could narrate her facial expressions for anybody who's not watching on YouTube. <laughs> but she she does seem very engaged when you're talking about <laughs> the Crime Fighters Award. Like she she does she she is very into this. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> 
You made it to the meeting. That's all. That's a good thing. But Only two minutes late. <laughs> on a serious note, before we close, uh, we just wanted to thank you both for being so generous and open to things that we've suggested in the past and, and helping us out along the way, especially with the Dark Valley panel that we did in Orlando, going out of your way to have Jane there with her daughter and her granddaughter. Her her nine-year-old granddaughter was really, really special. And I think, like Kevin, I think you had asked us on a scale of one to 10, how important is it to have the granddaughter there? And I think we might have said like seven, like we can do it without without Cheyenne, but the impact's just not there. The The purpose of it just wouldn't really go, but we could do it. And you didn't even question it. You, you, both of you didn't even question it. You said, well, if that's how it has to be, it has to be. And it was just really generous to offer that. And they were very appreciative. And I think the audience uh, really got a lot out of it. I think it resonated as we wanted it to. So so thanks for that. Thanks, Lance. And I, I mean, we we have definitely valued the relationship with you guys. And, you know, it's, it's transformed to a level where like there's there's actual trust there now. So, you know, that's a good example where you guys pitch something or bring up an idea. We know you wouldn't do it unless you've already thought through the implications and the reasons and it's going to be added and all those sorts of things. So it's easy for us to say yes in, in an environment like that. And yeah, I agree. The session was awesome in terms of the feedback that I've seen. I know it, it rated real highly and it's just another one of those, like exactly the type of session we want to do more of, you know, at QuamCon. You've got the actual family there and, you know, the attendees get to experience this journey with them and the emotion that's part of all that. Those are the, the stuff we're just, I think, privileged enough now to be able to access and host. And so congrats to you guys on identifying that story and, and developing the projects around it. I know that was a big pod for the year. So uh, we were very happy that you guys were behind it. And you guys are the best. We really appreciate you and we love you. And it's not just because Lance sends me pictures of his dog. <laughs> that does go a little bit. That does help a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, very cool. Thank you so much. We uh, really appreciate you guys and everything you do too. So thanks a lot.